the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 256 for Monday, April 26th, 2010. Ooh, fancy. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire, uh, and live on Ustream. On the other side of Ustream is John F. Braun in Fairfield, Connecticut. Oh, just up for a little nap here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this is show number two, five, six, which we decided was uh, special enough to warrant a special occasion because two, five, six is, of course, a very geeky number, John. Well, it's two to the Eighth, I believe. Now, some people argued that, you know, 255 is a magic number if you include zero, which I certainly agree. But, but we didn't include zero. In fact, there never was a show zero. Well, that's what I was going to say. Somebody wrote me and I said, well, we'd have to record a show zero in order to make this significant. So right. we're not going to record a show zero. No, the time machine record a show 256. That's this right. is it. So two to the eighth. For you people that count in base two, and if you don't, then 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 try it. It's cool. That's right. And for everyone listening uh, w- uh, on the uh, podcast feed, uh, which is of course most of you, uh, we are doing this. We are recording this while also broadcasting our uh, our video live over UStream. But don't sweat it. We we will do our best to ensure that uh, that the audio is uh, full of all the information that it needs to be. So. One of the things that we talked about, you know, when we did our hundredth show, John, we did a uh, we did a pretty cool thing. We talked about all the computers that uh, that you and I had had each used. And then, of course, you know, that that kind of told the story of how we met uh, or at least bits and pieces of that story. And so, of course, we didn't want to rehash that, but it was so much fun. And uh, and everybody seemed to enjoy it, including I know you and I. So the uh, the, you know, the idea with this here is we figured, well, you know, the the thing that is second most important, you know, if you make if you make the computers the most important thing in our computing life, the thing that's second to that really is the way that we connected to other computers and each other and how that all worked. And so we figured we'd talk about that. And the more I started building my list, the more interesting uh I found it becoming, in fact, it was like a walk down memory lane, not mm-hmm. unlike our, uh, our, our initial computing thing. So, so that's, what's on the agenda first. And then if we've got time, we I just came back from a trip. So of course there's always some travel, uh, escapades to discuss and, uh, and then questions if, uh, if there's time, I, I'm thinking though, John, that, uh, I want to, I want to talk about our first sponsor before we, before we dig in, because I have a feeling mm-hmm. when we dig in, we're going to uh, we're going to yes. we're going to we're going to get lost and that's OK. So I hope mm-hmm. you folks have some time. Our first sponsor and, and for our video folks out there, no, I didn't uh, spend the time and, and build special animations or anything. Uh, it took me long enough to figure out how to use Cam Twist this well. So uh, so you just get our mugs and maybe some cool transitions. But our first sponsor is a sponsor that's been with us for a while. CircusPonies.com with Notebook. Uh, Notebook is a uh, it's an electronic organizer, but it allows you to compartmentalize the data that you're organizing 
into, well, separate notebooks. When you start a new notebook, it's, it can be sort of daunting, although it's a familiar interface because you pull up a white lined notebook and you can start typing right into it. But where it really gets powerful is when you start bringing in things like PDFs and pictures, you can then annotate these things. If you get a fax, if say you use the e-fax service or one of the various fax services that send you email, uh, if you get a document in your fax, you can actually pull it into Circus Pony's notebook and it will OCR that, convert it into text and allow you to uh, copy and paste that text and also annotate it just like any other image. It comes with a bunch of templates and this is probably the best place to start because it can be a little daunting. So check out one of their templates and use that to, even if you're not going to build your, your final notebooks with it, use it to get a feel for how the software works. Again, this is Notebook from Circus Ponies. It's available at circusponies.com. $49.95, but of course it comes as a free download. So you can download it and try it out for a month before you commit. Uh, my guess is uh, if, if you're looking for something like this, you'll love it, but, uh, but go ahead and try it out. And then $49.95, all available at circusponies.com. And with that, all right, John, you, I believe, in fact, I know you've been online longer than I have. So why don't, why don't you start? Uh, and tell us about, uh, well, you, you know, before we even start uh, with the, with the electronic connectivity, you know, there, there was the old way of communicating with people, right. Where you'd actually bring your box of discs for your Apple II over to someone else's house and you'd spend a night, you know, playing each other's games and checking things out and yes, copying things and sharing and, and all mm -hmm. that stuff that makes people get all antsy these days. But, uh, but that's how, that's how word got around about, about new software, right? Well, I, w I would say pretty much that's uh, the, yeah, that's the case. And I think both Dave, when you and I grew up, uh, the, the way to do that, no, it was not three and a half inch. It was actually five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Right. That's right. Um, sometimes it would be uh, cheapskates and we'd actually punch a hole into the disk to use the back of it because Dude. back then, if I, if I remember correctly, it was 140K, five and a quarter inch floppies. No, we, we were not around during eight. Inch. Well, we were. There were eight inch floppies, but there were five and a quarter inch floppies, 140K on the Apple II. And some of us who wanted to do double duty would punch a hole. <clears throat> they actually made these little uh, you know, devices that let you punch a hole so you could write to both the front and the back of your 140k discs and uh, that's what we did and then uh, i don't know if we should get into dave the uh copy protection uh hell <laughs> that we had to experience back then which is pretty much any game and and, and you know i was promising people and i think we're gonna uh, although everybody sees us dave as you know just you know shining examples of obeying the law and all that i, I must say that you and i both dabbled in the world of um i, I would say technical uh, experimentation challenges of of maybe uh uh how shall i put it um, um maybe maybe it's best not to put it well uh, no we'll we'll say no uh, both you and i learned about uh ways to defeat copy protection on sure. uh on uh floppy disks and we we had some friends that were very into that i think you and i both dabbled in that but um it was a constant battle and it still aggravates i think a lot of us to this day that you know, some companies would spend so much time trying to come up with clever ways of preventing you from backing up or enjoying your software. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, there. so yeah, so we, you're right. We would, we would, we would trade this back and forth and, and, uh, and, and, and hang out. And there was a social thing. I mean, sometimes it would be more than just two people. You, you know, you get a bunch of people together, but then came the days of, okay, now we want to connect our computers directly to each other. 
and and you know and experience that and that really was kind of the, the beginning of of the bbs age right i mean there was no internet to mm-hmm. speak of at that point so i i know you got into that world probably several years before do you know how mm-hmm. old you were i know how old you were when i got started do you know how old you were when when you got started well, I'm I'm gonna maybe delve into some uh, you know adventures that I had, but I, I would say around 16 was okay. uh, when I started. So my first computer um, was an Apple IIe, and the first modem that I had was the uh, trusty, which I don't think the company's in business anymore, the Novation AppleCat. Right. This was so there were two types of modems you can get back then. There was either a, a, a modem that you put in a slot in your computer which was, you know, either Apple II or IBM or whatever, or you could get one that connected to a serial port. And uh, my choice was the Apple Cat, not only because it fit into a slot in the Apple, and it, it well, it just did so many things beyond just being a modem. Uh, and this right. will, again, delve into the uh, the dark side a bit here. But uh, I got the Novation Apple Cat modem, which, when it started, was a Bell 103 or 300-bit-per-second um, modem, which back then was, well, that's, that's what you did over phone lines. Right. Um, I don't think you ever got the Apple Cat, Dave. Though I, I, I know you uh, uh, dug the features of it. Yeah, I did dig the features. So mm-hmm. our our first Apple computer was an Apple II C, into which you couldn't really put an internal modem. I, I think there may have been one down the road, but but in in general you couldn't. And and it was actually an interesting machine to have a a, a modem with. So. Let me let me find my notes here to make sure I'm not missing anything. But yeah, I you know, I had a buddy like everybody did. Uh, and John and I did not know each other at this point. But I had a buddy who was an IBM guy uh, and he was he was an older guy who was married. He had kids. I think he had kids. Maybe he didn't have kids. But, you know, he was certainly much older than I was at, at you know, 14 or 13 or whatever. But he was a friend of my parents. And and uh, and he, you know, he was the one that showed me. I remember being at his house when he dialed up to another computer and it was like, oh, dude, you know, you see the text scroll across the screen. And it's like, whoa, that's coming from somewhere else. So, uh, it, it, you know, I, I got hooked there and I said, all right, I got to get a modem. And so he had this this uh, it was a twelve hundred baud um, modem that he sold me. And here's the Apple II. the modem had uh, it was an external modem. So it had an RS-232, a 25 pin serial port on it. And the mm-hmm. Apple II C had a mini nine, a DIN nine, maybe it was called uh, port. Right. Yeah. So it had that port on it. But what I had to do was get a cable for it. So I went to, you know, the local computer store. I got the DIN nine to, uh, you know, modem cable and I plugged it in. This modem had lights on it and I'd try to type commands to the modem or do do things. And I could see the lights like sort of flicker, but it never really worked right. And I couldn't get it to to do anything. You know, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't dial. It wouldn't answer. But I could tell something was happening. But, man, it was really frustrating. And so I brought my computer in to and I remember the guy's name. And maybe you can help me. It was uh, it was in the same shopping plaza as Caldor on the post road in Norwalk, Connecticut, John. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the store, but it was an Apple authorized Apple. And the, the repair tech's name was John Schlegel. Uh, and I'll mm-hmm. never forget this guy. He he worked really hard. He replaced our motherboard. Apparently there was some problem with the motherboard, but he replaced that. We went home. We tried it again. No, it didn't work. So we brought it back. We brought the modem back. And I remember it was like 830 on a Thursday night and they were getting ready to close. And he was willing to stay late to work with us. And he said, how about this? He says, I have this other modem from uh, uh, Popcom, but it, it was um, somebody will help me with the brand, the, the brand name. But the model name was the Popcom 1200 baud modem. 
And uh, and he said, this is guaranteed to work. And he plugged it in and boom, it worked. It was like, all right, th- that's it. Fine. We'll just take that home. So it was a full duplex, 300, 1200 baud modem. And we took mm-hmm. it home and it worked great. Uh, and, and as we get further down the line here, I can talk about what was going on with the 2C and some of the lessons that I learned. But but that's what I got online with. And I believe the first bulletin board I ever called was uh, was uh, called the Enterprise. And it was actually a for pay system. But uh, but I remember calling that because I knew it would be up and I knew it wouldn't be busy. And uh, and I remember logging in and I actually still remember the randomly generated 10 character password that uh, mm. that it gave me. And, and I still use that to today as uh, as some secure stuff. So I won't I won't repeat it here on the show, but uh, I will. But anyway, yeah, good. Perfect. Yeah. If you know it, repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I started also. So, so you and I started about the same time. Um, so I started with the Novation Apple Cat 2 which was a Bell 103 modem, which is, who may or may not know, but we're going to tell you was a 300-baud full duplex. Now, here, here was the key back then, is that uh, as the modems were evolving, they both had half duplex, which meant you could do what you could do in one direction, or you could do what you wanted to do in two directions. So the first thing, got the Novation Apple Cat. I think the first bulletin board I called, Dave, was something called Treasure Vault 1, which I remember because <laughs> I shortly thereafter, thanks to a friend of mine, he's out in Vegas right now, and he may be coming back to Connecticut, but um, uh, I shortly thereafter started a bulletin board. Now, yes, even though I only had an Apple II with 64K and a 140K uh, floppy drive, I decided to start a bulletin board because it was just the thing to do sure and, and the modem evolved with that uh some of the other systems i remember calling and you may remember dave another one and I, I i this one sticks in my mind telcom 7 was a local bulletin board because this was the bulletin board where if you owned an apple II, you could go online and tell all the people that had the uh, uh radio shack color computer how terribly wrong they were in their choice of computer. <laughs> it started even back then. <clears throat> even back then. <laughs> and and there were the platform wars. It was the Apple II versus the color computer versus the Amiga versus uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah and we, we were yeah. stupid back then because sure, we thought course, that you know, our kids. computer was the best. Wait, don't um, we, wait, don't we still do that? No. Okay. No, I mean, every computer is good at and bad at certain things. So, so I remember my progression was from the Apple Cat 2. Now, here was the interesting thing about the Apple Cat. It had both the 300 baud, which was, I think, Bell 103, but it also had, and here's where the, this kind of edged out the competition. It also had something called Bell 202, which was 1200 baud half duplex. And this is w- what got a lot of people very excited is, oh, my gosh, you could go four times faster than right. the 300 baud people. Right. Now, only in one direction, but, but for if a you file were, transfer, that's perfect. If you were transfer, if you were transferring software, then hey, you were the top of the heap. And eventually, they came out with an expansion board, which I eventually got, which would let you do twelve hundred baud full duplex. I think that was Bell two twelve. Right. Um, so that was one aspect of the Apple Cat that I really liked. The other was that it did so many more things. And here again, I'm gonna. I, I was telling people earlier. I'm gonna talk oh, about yeah. some of the times I got caught. Now, here was one of the other things that the Apple Cat could do: is that it had a very sophisticated sound generator, and it could generate not only. I think it could do four voice music, uh, DTMF, but it could also generate those other tones that multi frequency tones. The, you mean? Yes, sir. So, so DTMF, uh, dual tone multi frequency, right. is what the, right. the, the the current system still uses. Which, if you don't know, when you hit buttons on your 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 phone, it's not just one, but two, a combination of two tones. Now, the okay. thing is, they have one for regular people, and then they have one for operators. Well, this Apple Cat Moda 
had a program, I think it was called the Cat's Meow, which would let you generate this alternate set of tones. And well, suffice to say, if you've read about what uh, Wozniak and Jobs did, um, I've decided to emulate them in, in that I ran uh, what's known as a blue box. And it basically lets you be an operator and lets you do things like call other numbers or start teleconferences. Maybe, Dave, you were on one or two of them. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure at all. <laughs> this is all new to me. I, I'm learning. I'm learning along with our listeners because I didn't have an Apple Cat modem, so I couldn't yeah, right. uh, I couldn't blue box. So I I, uh, I only read about it. Uh, I, I, think, I, no I think you may have been on one or two of the calls unknowingly, of course. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Player. Well, if my phone rings, I answer it. I mean, who you know, who, who am I to say? Yeah. Uh, so th- this is, and, and this was the start of what got me into just the telecommunications thing, because back then, believe it or not, there was no internet. So if you wanted to talk to people throughout the country, and um, it, yes, I will admit, eventually the, uh, the, the phone police did come to my house and said, John, could you really please stop doing this? Right. And um, by the way, here's a big list of all the calls we detected that you made and, uh, and, and stop it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there, there was there was a lot of that. You know, it it wasn't like now where you could pay flat rate for long distance. Long distance rates were really expensive, mm-hmm. and of course, if you were a kid, there wasn't there wasn't really much option there. So, uh, so you did have to find cu- creative ways of getting in touch with other people. There was no internet. Mm-hmm. There there was nothing else. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that came into being uh, as options. They weren't great, but but as as somebody in the chat saying, yeah, free long distance meant a lot in 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 you know 1980. 1985, even 1989. Right. I mean, it was it was important. Uh, So, okay, so uh, moving from that, I uh, I think and I think that was about 1986 that I had that Popcom modem. Um, And it was with that modem, I believe that you and I it was when I had that that you and I met because uh, you had started you had restarted your bullet board Treasure Vault 2. And uh, Mm -hmm. and we were using DOS three point. Man, two, three, yeah, three point two, three point three for the Apple II, not not for uh, not for Windows, right? But Mm -hmm. uh, or for the PC rather. But uh, uh, so then then I upgraded and I got a. I wanted to double my speed, so I went from the Popcom twelve hundred baud, excuse me, to a US Robotics twenty four hundred, a Courier twenty four hundred, and I remember I was. I was home when the UPS guy came. It was very exciting. It became, it became UPS uh, red label, which I believe was next day air. We were very excited and I plugged it in and it didn't work just like the old days with that initial modem. And it was like, come on, what's going on? And I'd read enough and I'd learned a lot since, you know, since those well, days. Back then, Dave, I think the problem was, is that they all required a magical serial cable. And that was always kind of a shot in the dark as to whether you got, the yeah. wiring, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of that, cases. that's, that's right. And that's what it turned out to be. Now, the interesting thing was I thought it was because the cable needed to do hardware handshaking. And of course there's only nine pins on the Apple two C and 25 on the, uh, on the modem itself. So mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got a, um, a, a, a do it yourself serial cable kit, uh, and I was able to plug in and it, it had actually, I guess it was just a little adapter. Uh, and it, it was this, this square block that had a female RS-232 on one side and a male on the other. 
And mm-hmm. inside the block, you could route the cables any way you want. So I took this cable that came from my, and it was, it was called a hardware handshaking cable that came from my, you know, mini or nine, DIN nine port on the two C. And I plugged that the, the RS two thirty two end into this block. And I meticulously started, you know, okay, here's what it should be. And I plugged it in. It was doing the same thing. The lights would like flicker and it wasn't quite right. And so then I switched pins two and three, which were receive data and send data and magically mm. it worked. And I don't know why, but a lot of Apple two C's were this way. And again, I'd had the motherboard replaced to supposedly fix this problem, but, uh, but it didn't. So I had to, you know, I figured it out on my own, but ever, but after that I was the serial cable master, right? I mean, I, I knew mm. everything about that RS two thirty two cable. I could wire it any way I wanted. And eventually uh, that was the thing that allowed me to run a GBBS Pro uh, bulletin board on my Apple Two C was because I was able to wire that cable exactly the way GBBS wanted to uh, wanted to see it. And it was in 1989 that I launched. Uh, that, that was the birth, the birth of Ratguck. There, uh, that's right. Uh, and I believe that's Jim, if I'm not uh, if I'm not m- mistaken. Uh, let's see. Typical MAGA. Victor says, because the pinouts on the DB25 is two and three and on the nine pin, it's three and two. Yeah. Well, in theory, shouldn't the cables that I buy know that? But anyway, they didn't. And so we, I rerouted this thing mm-hmm. and then magically it worked and I had my 2400 baud. And then from that point on, I could use any cable, any modem I wanted. Uh, although that was the last modem to ever be used with my Apple two C. And I did, I started Millaways in 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, 203-866-2464 was the number, but please don't call that now. I'm sure someone else has it. They <laughs> they want to use it for their own home or whatever it is. So Well, same with me. And and then back then, Dave, so you and I had a bit of a, well, no, we, we, we overlapped our spaces. So I ran right. uh, what I must say, well, it, it was probably due to the fact that I was in a phone exchange. Back then, of course, you know, long distance calling was somewhat expensive. Yeah. Versus now. Yeah, but you were, much, when we talked about this in show 100, but it bears repeating here. Yeah. Well, I was in an exchange that for some bizarre reason was local to like half of Fairfield County. It was just amazing. And uh, uh, well, I, I think the reason that, you know, I, I still had, you know, a lot of callers was just the quality of the board and the, and the sysop. Just me. <laughs> no. Of course so it was. All to, of course. Now, the thing is, you and I, so of course, you and I had, you know, overlapping uh, callers and all that. And we both ran this thing called GBBS. Uh, I think Greg, Greg Schaefer was it? Yeah, that's right. Nice. So anyways, it was an interpreted uh, language called GBBS, which uh, was, uh, I think, kind of Pascal-like, or uh, I guess it was the closest thing. And uh, I still remember one of my crowning glories was, uh, so one of the things this did is when you logged in, you typed in your user number. And then your password. Right. And I still remember this little routine. And this was, you know, when I took my baby steps uh, to become a software developer. And what it would do is sequentially go through the user file and search every record. And I'm like, even back then, I was, you know, just just starting to learn programming. And I was like, you know, this sucks. So I actually wrote a little index routine. And also, I believe, used the RAM disk. So instead of ripping through the user file, you know, and saying, okay, record one, nope, record two, nope. I, I wrote some very basic indexing function. I think I actually handed it off to you, Dave, to use for your board. So our boards were like renowned for rather than you sitting there for minutes waiting for it to find your login. Oh, my gosh. It just kind of logged you, log you immediately. In. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, duh. I mean, if you have user number, whatever, why don't you just go right to that record and through their yeah. very primitive language, figure out how to do that. But some of the other fun that we have, Dave, was a couple of the other boards that we called into. And this was just the start. It was like pre-internet. 
people came up with ways where you could do multiple users per uh, uh, on a single board. So of course your board and my board, GBBS, it was pretty much you and, and the system operator you could chat right. with. That, that was pretty much it. Um, but I remember a couple of words and, and one guy I'm still in touch with, he lives down south. Um, well, there were two things. So one, he, he wrote something. Now he wrote this on his PDP. So he had an employer. He bought, he bought a PDP nine, right? At a, at a, yeah. like a, a tag sale or something. His employer was throwing it out. Oh, so it was a big okay. womp and uh, basically a mini computer at the time. And he's like, you know what? Uh, rather than throwing that out, can I have this? And it came with basic and it, and it came with a compiler and all this stuff. And he actually wrote a system, which became kind of the cornerstone of the, uh, of, of the area. Yeah. Um, and, and he called it Comlink, and I still remember our uh, you know our fun times here. Well, he had you could have four people on at once, uh, and of course that made right. the chat room great. I mean, right. you know, and it's funny that we're talking about this here, and I see we've got thirty nine people uh, in the chat mm-hmm. room, you know, and it, it's you know without even thinking about it, right? And mm-hmm. and in those days, to get four people online at once was you know a, a, a Herculean programming feat. Mm-hmm. So. so he wrote, uh, so he, uh, you know, he, he uh, figured out how to program it and actually had a multi-user. I think he started with four users and I think he eventually went to, I think, eight users. I think you're right. Eight modems. And I still remember coming over, um, you know, to hang out, you know, we'd maybe have a beer or two. And I still remember now here's the, uh, here's the power of being a system operator, sysop as they called it is we would sit there, we crack a couple of beers and now that there were our favorites and not so favorites on the chat system. And so we did a couple of things that were kind of fun. At least I thought are funny. One is if there were people on the system and anybody could call in and sign up. But if there were people that we didn't particularly like, we would accidentally, of course, uh, toggle the power switch on the modem um, that they were on. But even better. And, and I think we crafted this in one night. I'm like, hey, Steve, can we um, can we write a routine that injects what appears to be random line noise into their data stream and maybe they'll hang up? And we did that too. And if people remember, that's right. Cause he you know, had no way of hanging. The one thing he didn't write into it was he had no way of hanging someone up. Uh, right. There was no way he couldn't log someone off. He could see. I don't was think on. there was a call to yeah. do that. There was yeah. a direct call to do that. So either we had to toggle the switch or introduce what appeared to be line noise and hope that the person would say, Oh, my connection sucks. And, and they would hang up. Right, so, right, right. But we also had, and, and this was Dave, I think it was, uh, is it Cranberry park? Yeah. Yeah. Cranberry okay. park in Norwalk, Connecticut. Yeah. Right. And we would have people, uh, you know, arrive, you know, just, just randomly to meet. And, and I can guarantee you, Dave looked nothing. I think that was one of the first times I met you face to face or maybe before that. But the thing is, yeah. whenever you met people, that you would either chat with uh, or talk to voice beforehand. They never, ever looked like you thought they would look well, like. People say that no about exception. us now. Yes. Well, some <laughs> people think that I look like you and you look like me as yeah. far as our voices. That's right. Which, right, um, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so moving on with the hardware, uh, mm. I went through a series of modems in the, uh, in the early nineties. I had a, uh, I, obviously I, I had the courier 2400. Then I moved to, for a brief time, I had, I had, oh, and I think I'm, my notes are out of order. The next thing I got was a practical peripherals, uh, PM 14.4. And, uh, and John, I promised that I had, uh, some, some visual. Oh, do you have it? I got it out of the box. Dude, check this out. Cause I remember that had a display on it, I believe. There it is. So I actually still have it. So this is my 14.4, oh, the PM 144 MT2. 
Huh? And, uh, you know, it, it, of course, had had this on the back. Now, by this point, by the early 90s, I had moved from the Apple IIc yeah. into uh, Mac SE 30. But, you know, it was all still the same. That had that had the mini DIN 8 and the two the two C had the DIN 9. It was not the mini. Uh, so mm. so, you know, and I, I've got to, uh, actually, you know, um, yeah, whatever. But anyway, uh, so I had that. And then. For a brief time, I had a Telebit T1500, which was a V.32 9600 baud modem. That was around the time of the whole U.S. Robotics HST 9600. There were competing 9600 baud standards. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, you know, then I then I moved to the I guess I guess I did have the Telebit first. Then I moved to the practical peripherals. Um, and then uh, and then I moved to the uh, practical peripherals uh, MC. One of the very first MC288MT2 V.34, which was one of the first 28.8 modems. Nice. And it was around this time, uh, it was just before I moved to that, that uh, there were some other ways of getting online. Uh, now ISP, the concept of an ISP, some, you know, dial up way of getting on the internet was brand new. And the first one I used was a company out in California called Portal. Uh, now I was in Connecticut, so to dial up portal would, would, was a very costly, uh, phone call, but there was this service called Telenet, not Telnet, but Telnet T E L E N E T, which was later purchased by Sprint and, uh, and they renamed it SprintNet and they had, uh, dial in points of presence all over the country and you could connect to them and then connect to services. Well, one of the services that you could buy access to was the ability to dial out through the modems that they had at their points of presence all over the country. And they had one in San Jose, which was where portal was. So, uh, so I, I, I was able to dial a local number for Telenet and then connect out, uh, and, and get to portal. Then mm-hmm. again, right about, uh, I think it was right about 1994, 93, 94 was when net uh, was uh, the first ISP that opened up. I think they were in Stamford, Connecticut, which at that time had become local to me uh, where I was in Norwalk, Connecticut. So I was able to give up my portal account. I signed up for a net access account and that was the beginning of local dial-up ISPs. And they actually supported 28.8. I think I was able to connect it 21.6. And I remember this because I found the email trail between me and their tech support guy uh, earlier today as I was trying to peg dates mm-hmm. and, and all that. But uh but yeah, so so that that was very interesting. You had a you had a net access account uh, as well, John. Net access, and then I I'm trying to remember. So then, Dave, I think you know we kind of leapfrogged each other, and I think you got this as well. But the modem that I remember, at least I see on my list. So yeah, I, I also got the Practor Peripherals. And one of the first ones I got from them, I think I had two. So one was similar to what you had is that it had the the LEDs. Right. But then I believe I got their 14.4 and had this groundbreaking. LCD display. You did have that. I remember. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I was jealous of that. And it was, you know, it would say send, receive. It would tell you the negotiation with the remote host and all that. And it was just, you know, groundbreaking that it was like a one-line LCD display. Um, But then I think both you and I, as as time progressed, and I think the the, the ISP we're talking about got this. So I think one of the first modems I got beyond, and I think I had a Practical Peripherals 38.4 modem. Okay. But then all of a sudden, uh, thirty-three-six. You mean or thirty-three-six? Yeah. 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 I never got a thirty-three-six, and you know, I moved to Austin in ninety-five, and I had my twenty-eight-eight with me, um, and but then, 
it, 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 I couldn't get a decent connection with my 288. So I figured 33, six at that point, it just wasn't worth it. The phone lines weren't, you know, mm-hmm. weren't, weren't, uh, didn't have the right mojo. Yep. So, uh, and here's the problem back then is that phone lines were never really meant for doing data though. They, they, they tried their best, <clears throat> excuse me. But then what we got, um, and I think this is one of the first that I got was a, uh, I believe it was a U.S. robotics courier X two. If I remember, and here's what that did that was groundbreaking is it did, and I believe it did, um, 56 or, or as close as it could to 56 kilobits a second okay. one way. So it was kind of this asymmetrical thing again. Yeah. And both you and I, I think, got into that. I think you, you got a flavor of, uh, but I think U.S. Robotics was one of the companies that did this, and, and there were others eventually. And I think that's as far as they ever got with uh, landline uh, throughput was 56k in one direction in one right? direction but here's here's the thing let's talk about this and then i want to do our, our next sponsor and then i have something cool the next piece of hardware to, to mm-hmm. talk about but but yeah the 56k was a half digital link so it would be 56k from your isp to you and then it was at best 33.6 from you to mm-hmm. them. But the way it worked was you could connect to your normal phone line. Now, your phone line had to be, you know, less than X number of feet from, you know, whatever the switch was in order for it to work. But on the mm-hmm. other end, the ISP needed to have a digital connection Hmm. to the phone circuit and that's how they made that 56k thing work so it really was you the only copper involved was the copper from the the switch to your house there was no copper involved with the isp if i remember correctly on on Mm -hmm. the way that that worked uh victor's saying in the chat that it's called switched 56 and and maybe that maybe that's the term for it Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah, it, it and that was cool because again, like with your Apple Cat, you know, it was the downstream that typically mattered where you were down. Even with, forget the Apple Cat, think about our cable modems today to jump to you know the present day. Our downstream is much mm. faster than our upstream in in most cases. So, um, yep. All right. And I still remember back then you would tune your. Uh, sometimes you may replace your analog line because things just weren't working out. Um, yep. I still remember when I I moved into my place here. My, my line was cracking and, and all that stuff. And I eventually went to the, the, the box uh, connected to the side of the house and the line was literally about to fall off <laughs> in that. Uh, I looked at it and I actually, I think I, I yanked on it and I actually disconnected it because it was oh. so weathered and all that, you know, so I stripped the wire, uh, you know, brought out some fresh copper, put it around the posts and, and it was like night and day. The, the, the line was better though. I have since Dave and I think you have also, but I think it was up until a couple of years ago, I still had, as a backup, which you probably are. Uh, in this case, I don't have a backup, but I used to, uh, up until a couple of years ago, I did still have a landline. I think it was AOL. Um, still had a landline ISP just in case I was on the road and couldn't get connectivity through another means. But I, I eventually yeah. threw in the towel and said, you know, I mean, even though it was only, you know, seven or five bucks a month, it was like, sure, yeah, I don't think I need this anymore. Sure. Yeah. But to you, Dave. All right. Yeah. So our uh, our second sponsor for this show is Citrix with GoToAssist, uh, GoToAssist Express. Now, the, the concept here is we've all, especially those of us that are that are geeks or budding geeks, you know, we've got friends and family that say, hey, we want you to help us. And some of us might even, uh, and I don't do it anymore, I don't, I don't know how much of it you're doing these days, John, but, uh, but, you know, some of us at various times have actually 
sold our services to other people where you're billing by the hour and you're out there helping. But, you know, travel time to and from can be a real bear, especially if it's a family member on the other coast or a client in Austin. Uh, and you're here in New Hampshire, for example. Uh, and this is where GoToAssist Express really comes in handy. They have built a system that works with just about every router and firewall I've checked. And it's because everything is opt-in from the user's side. As a as the consultant, I log in and I create a session and then I send the link, for example, to you, John, right? And then you get the link and you visit this link in your browser. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting there waiting for you to do your thing. And, uh, and then once you go to this link, it magically links us two together via their server and boom, we're connected. I can control your screen. You can see what I'm doing. You can turn off my session at any time. If you know, I dig into something, you're like, well, oh, oh, shouldn't be there. You know, uh, no problem. And it works great. Now, uh, it's go to assist.com. It's all available. Uh, if you go to go to assist.com slash gab, that's G A B lowercase. That will give you the uh, a, a one month free trial. So check it out at go to assist.com slash gab. Again, this is go to assist express from Citrix. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, nice. I'm in- seeing some chat here and you, you know, it, it reminds me. So you and I are spoiled, Dave, and that we live in you know, relatively connected areas of the country here, but mm. I'm seeing this and actually I've heard this. I, I think the last time I ran into this was when I was out in Iowa, but um, apparently, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people in the chat room say this, there are still parts of the U S where I guess uh, it, 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 don't take it for granted that you're going to have high speed uh, connectivity. You may still have to use a modem. And I, I see at least one or two people are saying that their parents uh, or, you know, people they know still use 288 which oh i can't even imagine that oh my god like we would not be doing video <laughs> at least not very no. uh, very well if we were doing 288 so thanksgiving and i'm going to fast forward a little bit here thanksgiving in mm. ni- of 1995 was the first time i did uh, a video of uh, not a video an audio chat over the internet with my family back in connecticut we had uh we had just moved down to austin and uh, got my dad, you know, my dad had a computer in the house. And so we, you know, figured out how to set all that up. And uh, we did an audio chat. Now, I think it was prior to Thanksgiving that my the first audio chat I did was with you. Um, you know, I think you and I had experimented with it. But but I remember my dad still has it on the calendar. Thanksgiving 1995, we did an audio chat. And I can't remember what the software was. But uh, but, you know, so it, interesting. And in, in, in I moved to Austin April 1st, 1995. And I needed to get a new internet service provider. So I tried out two of them. And the first one that I tried out was called io.com, which was Illuminati online. And it was made by, uh, it was run by Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson games, the company that was rated by the feds for being peripherally, they weren't involved, but they were talking to hackers and stuff. So they were rated and had their computers taken and all this stuff. Uh, But the, the ISP, I didn't wind up using them. It wasn't because of that. But the ISP that I wound up using was OnRamp at ONR.com because I got better uh, better connections to them. So, uh, but that that was that was interesting, and that and that was with the twenty eight eight. At some point in there, I got a, the practical peripherals fifty six k modem uh, because it, it was you know the time came. But another interesting thing happened to me in nineteen ninety five. I had an opportunity to go on the road. Uh, playing drums with a rock band. Now I got the gig three weeks after I moved to Austin 
and it was for three months out. I left in September. We moved in, you know, so it was more than three months out, but, uh, but I, you know, I moved down there. The band was out of Boston. So, uh, and I knew I was going to be on the road and I knew I wanted to have connectivity. And we talked about this in, in our show 100 because I went and got a PowerBook 520C for this trip. But I also knew I needed to get a modem for it. So, uh, oh, hang on. Let me, uh, let me get our, our, our Skype chat. Was it just another band out of Boston, Dave? Well, it was a band called Hypnotic Clambake. They're actually oh. still touring around. It wasn't that other Boston band. It wasn't that other Boston band, no. <laughs> so I got this, the Megahertz Cruise Card 14.4. And it ah. was, it's a PCMCIA card. This slid into the computer. And then on the other side, a little, I don't know if you can see it there. I'll put my, put my hand in front of it. A little phone jack pops nice. out. And you oh, can yeah. plug a, a deal into it. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and this worked fine. But, you know, a lot of times I wasn't in a place where I could jack in. We might be in a club and there might be a pay phone or whatever. Now, I had an AOL account, so there was dial-up numbers all over the country. But I believe I'm opening this for the first time since uh, since I got back from the road. Because I don't think I've used it since then. But hopefully in here it is. Uh-oh. Yep. Is the acoustic coupler that I used <laughs> while on the uh, while on the road, and and so you'll see mm, that I've gosh. got there's this there's this uh, there's a phone jack here. So this is what I would plug into the modem, and then it, you can see on the end it has these connectors that you'd strap in, and this went to uh, one part, and you know that went to the other, and there's this big strap over the top where you'd you know strap it onto the handset. And uh, and then it has this little switch where you can control the the level. It's got one, two, and X. And I I mm-hmm. always remember it working fine on one. But it's a it was the CP Plus Telecoupler Two. Uh, I'm pretty sure we can't uh, solicit them for a sponsorship for the uh, for the show, John. They're but, probably out of business. Yeah. In fact, oh, now, thank a lot goodness. of people in the took the battery in the chat are uh, pointing out now one of the movies that you and I both. Uh, remember from back then was yep. uh, War Games, in which uh, I just watched that with my kids recently. That was awesome. And uh, uh, now the one thing that, that kind of struck me about that movie, Dave. So number one, of course, the beginning dialogue, they talk about things that probably would get cut now. That's yes. Right. That's all I'll say. Yes. But they had a, a yeah drug-infused discussion at the beginning of the, the film. But then, yes, I, I believe Matthew was using, and, and I, I don't know about you, Dave. Again, I'm going to come clean here. Is I, I believe at one point I ran what they're going to call a war games dialer. Back Definitely. Back in my... Uh, Back in my naughty youth, which was basically you would write a program and it would basically dial every number in your local exchange because you didn't want to go broke. You would basically call every number and see if it came up with a carrier and then you would explore further and see uh, how good or not good the uh, security was on the uh, modem or computer system on the other end. And I think, well, that eventually I think they, they, they got you know kind of upset with people doing that because yeah. you'd be waking up everybody in your exchange because you typically run it overnight. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, it was before caller ID, right? So nobody knew who was <laughs> calling him. Yeah, because that's right. It would call. And if a computer picked up, it would save the number to a file. And if, you know, a computer didn't pick up, it would just try the next number. Oh, oh, and look at the Oh, Neil here. Oh, he dialed everybody in the blue pages. Well, that's well, I don't know if that's smart yeah, necessarily. Well, blue too. pages is typically government. Mm. Um, you know, on one of those uh, uh, one of those conference calls that didn't happen, John, we called the Pope. Oh, yep. Got him on the and phone. I still remember. I think my parents do, but okay. So this is the one thing I remember dialing. And again, I don't think I, I caused an international incident, but I still remember. And I think somebody handed out the number, but I still remember where I dialed in. It says, welcome to White Sands Missile Base. And I'm like, 
Wow. Dope. That's cool. Okay, let's hang up now. Yeah, moving right along. <laughs> uh, Okay, so I think I've I've been through more trial. I've 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 been on more of the bleeding edge with some of this technology at this point. Anyway, you were on the bleeding edge with the Apple Cat. It, it was in the late '90s that I really got hungry for for more bandwidth, and you know I I, I didn't have kids, and you know money was was easier to spend than it uh, than it is now. But uh, but you know I, I was working in the tech field. I was doing a lot of remote mm-hmm. support, and I wanted a fast connection. So. Uh, in 1998, we bought our first home. We, Lisa and I, we were, we weren't married at the time, but we are now. Uh, and, uh, we bought our first home and I thought, man, I want a high speed connection. I want an ISDN line. So I, we, we were moving from Austin outside to a town just next to Austin called Buda. Now in Austin, Southwestern Bell was the phone carrier in Buda. Uh, it, the Texas is uh, a weird people are ready. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So ISDN was that integrated services digital network. It yeah. was an attempt to do digital over it, copper. It gave you one twenty correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't look this up, but I seem to remember it gave me one twenty eight K in both directions. Digitally. It was a digital connection. There was no that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. So uh it, so it um it's interesting. So I you know, I called up General Electric, which was the phone company for rural Texas. It may still be mm-hmm. uh GE. Yeah. And uh yeah, and that's right. Uh, ISDN, somebody's in the chat room talking about A and B channels. It was sixty four K per channel mm-hmm. and I and you could bond both channels together to get a full connection. That's right. So uh so I called them up the day we put an offer in on the house and uh and and said, can I do an ISDN line? And they said, yes. However, we have 90 days from the day you place the order to get your ISDN line uh, going for you. And I said, OK. They said that it's federally mandated. That's just how it's going to work. Fine. OK, well, let's put the order in. We were, you know, two months out from closing on the house anyway. So I was like, oh, fine, I'll live for a week. You know, or a month well, I believe back then, Dave, the nightmare was that the companies offering the connectivity and the people offering the service is that you, you were dealing with multiple parties who didn't necessarily have their acts together. Yes. And it, but this story gets really interesting. So I call them up and they get fine, you know, and it's going to be $60 a month for the line. And then you've got to buy IS and internet service from either GE. Uh, they would be happy to sell it to me or some third party and you know, whatever it is. So, uh, you know, so I feel fine. Okay. So, you know, yes, let's do it. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the, I, I call them up, uh, you know, a month out, we still on. Yep. We're still good. Great. I call them up a week out. Are we still on? Yep. We're still on. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I call them up, uh, the day of day before I call them up. We still on, we're still on morning of, I get a phone call and it's from the guy in the local office. And he says, we've got this order here. We're supposed to install an ISDN line for you, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's no way that's going to happen today. He said, we just had, you know, we don't have the equipment here to do that, but somehow, and I have no idea how, but somehow you've been, they, they approved this purchase of $75,000 mm-hmm. worth of equipment to, uh, <laughs> to, you know, to turn on ISDN in your area. 
I'm thinking, well, okay, you know, fine. And it was, there was no contract or anything. It was a month to month deal. Right. And I'm like, ah, great. And I said, well, what's, you know, so, okay, what's it, how long is it going to be? He says, it's probably going to be another week or so, but you've got my direct mm-hmm. number now. So, you know, let's keep in touch. That's fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed. Obviously I was really excited to move from modem to ISDN, but Hey, you know, technology is what it is. So the next week I schedule, I work my schedule. I stay in touch with the guy and he says, okay, yep, we're, we're going to be out there. I'm bringing my team and, and we've got everything set up on the back end. So now we've got to get you set up. Uh, so we'll do it, you know, whatever, Tuesday, Tuesday morning. So Tuesday morning, uh, you know, I took the day off of work or whatever. And uh, we get there and there was a, the phone pole across the street uh, was only sending one uh pair to our house and we needed two pair one for the phone line of course and then one for the isdn and they wanted to make sure it was a good quality line so uh and i lived on a, i lived on a ranch road 967 in buta which was a two lane but 70 mile an hour highway that house was not easy to sell mind you uh but it was a great house we had horses and everything but uh, yeah selling a house on a busy road like that anyway so we had to you know they had to go across the street they had to cut this line and drop the line into the middle of the road. So we're all standing out there on the edge of the road, kind of looking for cars. Yeah. Is it cool? Is it cool? Can we drop it? Yes. So they cut the line and we're out there and then the guy's up there stringing a new one. And again, we're looking for cars and we see this truck, a pickup truck coming mm-hmm. up the road on the wrong side. And you know, it's like, and they're going slow. It's like, hmm, okay. You know, we're all kind of scratching our heads and the truck comes up and, and I look and, uh, you know, out the window the, the driver's got his arm out the window and he's rolling this wheel along. And I was like, what the heck is this? And I asked the guy, is this you? And they're like, no. And uh, no, it was, he was clearly measuring distance with this, with this line. And so as the truck gets closer, I look at the side of the truck and it's his Time Warner cable on the side of it. Now, Time Warner Uh-oh. was in Austin. They, we didn't have Time Warner. We had a satellite dish, right? And obviously this ISDN line. Well, as he gets closer, I stopped him and, you know, we're all standing there. And I said, what's going on? He says, well, we're measuring, you know, there's that new development that they're putting it out there. And uh, we're measuring the distance and how many homes, what the home density is between here and there, because we're going to put in, uh, you know, cable service out in this new development. We're trying to figure out if there's enough uh, homes here to put in, you know, the service in between here and there. And I said, oh, and would that mean we get cable? And he said, yeah. And I said, would that mean we get cable modem, Roadrunner? And he says, yeah, you get the whole thing. We'd, we wouldn't string old stuff. You know, you're going to get the, the greatest. And I said, okay, now the big question, uh, would you, it's 1995 for those of you in the chat room and those of you that have, uh, have, have, uh, have just joined us here. But, uh, but yeah, so I said, you know, what do you think? He says, well, the decision isn't mine. I said, yeah, 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 I know. What do you think? He says, oh, you'll definitely get it. And there's these guys that just spent $75,000 worth of uh, GE's money to string this ISDN lineup. And I said, how long do you think it'll be? He said, uh, you know, probably going to be three or four weeks. And uh, so I, I had that ISDN line for two months uh, until I moved to the uh, cable modem. So, uh, so it worked out fine. But uh, in the end, for me, not, not so much nice. for GE. Now, with that ISDN line, something... There was a marked shift that happened. I was now, I now had a connection instead of having a modem on each computer. I now had a connection that was fast enough that I could share from Mm -hmm. all amongst all my computers. Now, of course, when I bought the house, uh, my friend Daniel came over and we strung cat five everywhere through the home because there was no such thing as a airport or at least not, you know, we, we didn't have it then. 
time for tea. But uh, so I bought what was called, it was a three com device called the office connect land modem. And it does what we're all used to now, but it seemed like magic at the time. It connected to my ISDN line and it was my modem for the ISDN line, but it was also a router that uh, does what all of our Linksys and airport routers do now. It took the one connection and shared it. And this also managed dialing up on demand because the ISDN was dialing and and uh, and and all of that. But it, it was it was, you know, it, it was that market shift of, OK, now I've got house wide connectivity that we just jack into and we're good to go. Uh, so that that was that was an interesting thing. When I moved to the cable modem, uh, I actually did it on my Mac using sustainable software's IP net router uh, to do that mm. connection sharing. But I did it with one ethernet port, which is totally inadvisable. I connected, uh, I had a, a, a hub, not even a switch and I connected the cable modem to the switch and all my other computers to the switch. And mm. on one of them, I got the address from the cable modem. And then on that same interface, I had a 192.168 and it worked fine. Uh, it wasn't great, but you know, it worked fine. So, you know, and, and then I think about a year later, I moved to a Linux box for, uh, for my routing needs. So cool. So that, that's my so, ISD inline um, story. Yep. Yeah. I, I totally skipped that. So, um, mm -hmm. when I was, I almost skipped um, it. <laughs> yeah. He probably should have because no, I was, a, so when I was in Weston, um, so back then we had, and I still have, so, so I got to say, so this one cable service and you know, I wish, uh, I wish everybody in the country had these guys and, and uh, they're not paying me to say this uh, if they'd like to, they could, but I am still with uh, what is known as either cable vision or optimum online. And these guys, except for one or two little technical uh, uh, gripes that I have, these guys offer some of the best um, in my opinion, both cable TV service and HD and internet connectivity for, for a reasonable price. And, and, and when I was back in Weston and I'm in Fairfield, but, but they, they cover both areas. And back then, now I believe it was through them. Now this is the danger of, you know, being a, a bit early to the game, kind of like with Dave is that I got, um, and I think it was through cable vision or maybe it was a partnership. I got an at home cable modem. Yeah. Now, yeah. They were all non-standard, non-doxis stuff, right? Here's the bad news, as you point out, Dave. So it was a big honking thing. Now, it didn't have, because I still remember there were some cable modems back then where they actually had external uh, heat fins, like big old heat sinks external to the modem, because some of these things were generating quite a bit of heat because they were, you know, running at, at, at amazing speeds compared to the rest of the world. I, you know, even faster than ISDN, if you can imagine that. Right. So, um, but, uh, the only problem was, and and this was one of my my first investments where I learned, you know, sometimes you just gotta suck it up and sell because it's one of the first investments I bought where they went totally under. <laughs> I still remember. Yeah. I still remember what they did at home made the fatal mistake of buying excite. I remember because that they, because they thought, Hey, you know what? People want content. It's like, no, they don't. They want fast internet. Right. And so they basically folded because they made this faulty decision to buy excite and they just went down the tubes. Now, the other thing is, yeah, so it was a non-standard cable modem and, and I still remember back then, the but they the all were back in, you know, to be fair, right, there right? was no doxis. There yes. was no doxis. So yeah, my roadrunner mm. modem was this wacky, mm. you know, but it was what it was, what it was, but it, you know, it did what five megabits down and one up. I think at the time they, they then shortened yeah. that, but you know, I mean, it, it was good. Yeah. But I remember constantly, and this is, you know, where I got in the trouble 
troubleshooting thing was a lot of times the thing wouldn't work right. Now, now part of it was that I lived uh, in a house that was quite a ways away from the pole. It was about 300 feet. And that's kind of testing the limits of any device. Um, and the thing was, sometimes I would sit there and the transmit and receive lights would just be blink, 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 blink. What's going on? This was before, as, as they pointed out, this was before you could go to uh, 192.168.100, is it, Dave? I, I dot 100 dot one. And, and that's actually a good right. thing for anyone that's got a cable modem. You can do it right now in your browser window. Just don't close this chat because then you'll lose this excellent podcast that's happening. But uh, mm-hmm. you go you go open up another window and go to 192.168.100.one. And uh, and that'll give you the status of your cable modem. And depending on what your provider allows, you may mm-hmm. or may not be able to, uh, you know, you, you may you, you might get some interesting data. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So either the way as someone pointed out in the chat room, you either the solution was, well, cycle power on it, which is not a solution at all. Right. And it would reset the, you know, the transmitter and the receiver and all that stuff. Now, the thing was also is where I lived. Um, we had about a 300 foot run from the house to the pole. Uh, now, if you know certain parts of Connecticut, I, I wouldn't say it's the, the, the sticks, but uh, every now and then you would get um, a critter who would uh, take a great interest in the uh, the the, uh, the nutritional value of the cable. So basically we would have cases where the squirrels, yes, would basically munch on the cable and that kind of uh, impacts your, uh, you know, signal quality. So we had, we had a couple of times. Now the thing is they hated doing this, but they had to. Cause I'm like, guys, you know, the signal sucks. And I, I remember one time they would come out and they're like, eh, nah, nah, everything's fine. And then another guy would come out and he's like, Oh no, 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 no. Look, you know, uh, the, the squirrel chewed through the cable. So he would spend like a half a day running a fresh run from the house to the pole. And then everything was great again. But, um, yeah, this was pre-standard and it was at home. And as I mentioned, yes, they went under and I lost all my shares and, uh, it was very sad, but then, you know, shortly thereafter, they finally, and again, I think we're talking early nineties here. They finally, came up thankfully with a wonderful standard called doxis where in theory you can take any cable modem that's doxis compliant and put it on any doxis compatible cable network right. so i never did the isdn thing david oh okay. there were so many I, I forget some of the nasty names people use but it was just a boondoggle it was because uh, again as i mentioned i think you ran into this you had one company that made the modems you had another providing connectivity maybe another company hooking it up and it was just and and they didn't play nice it, it was just a, an exercise in bureaucracy and just sure how not to do it yep yep absolutely absolutely um all right uh somebody's asking me if i can make this channel work with the uh with the ustream iphone app so mm-hmm. what i'm gonna do is uh i'm gonna see if i can do that all right, there is no way to uh, enable this for the iPhone app. We just have to uh, do more of these, and apparently that will will do it. So yeah, for those of you that want to see the video, I will leave this video posted on Ustream. So you can download, uh, even if you've downloaded the show, you can go to Ustream and, and visit the uh, visit the video there. So uh, you get to see John and I and, and the rudimentary effects that I've done with, uh, with Cam Twist to make this work uh open to suggestions for those of you in the chat room for uh for alternate views or uh, or what have you but uh you know i mean we can i can i can spin us around but my guess is that's going to make someone sick so uh Whoa, what the heck's that <laughs> the spinning cube thanks the spinning cube you like that john how about if we no. uh, how about if no. we turn off the cube uh mm. okay so, so then when I moved to Connecticut, uh, again, I, I, I lived on the bleeding edge. We moved to new Fairfield, Connecticut, 
And I knew that the home that we were moving into had the opportunity to either do DSL or cable modem. And I figured I'd pick whichever was was best. Now, I actually wrote an article for Mac Addict at the time and got I got both and, and compared them and contrasted. And we had an interesting situation in that DSL was actually faster than Charter mm. uh, at the time. DSL was one megabit down and 128K up. And Charter uh, cable was 768 down and 64K up. So I actually lived with DSL for a while, which was interesting because it also required a login um, you had to, I had to have, you know, I had the DSL modem and then I had a Linksys router. Uh, no, actually, I, I think I had my, my Linux machine still was doing the PPP over ethernet login. Uh, right. and then, and then eventually charter figured out that they were, you know, losing all their customers to DSL. So, so they, 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 they sorted that out and I, I wound up moving up to what they call the business gold package, which got me six megabits down and a whopping mm. 768 K up, which was actually really cool. This was back in, in like 2000. And uh, and it gave me a static IP, which I really, really liked. So uh, so, you know, and then and, and 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 I think it was sometime when I was in New Fairfield that I got rid of the Linux router and moved to the uh, mm. this the, the the now. Now, I still remember Alexis. I still remember the at home guy. Now, you know, never say never. But I still remember the guy when he came to install it. And I was back then fairly savvy as far as the state of the art and connections, you know, was yep. kind of racking on ISDN and. Uh, but I knew this is that back then, both uh, Optimum and uh, SNET, which uh, back then and I guess still is kind of local phone company yep. um, under other guys, um, uh, they were running uh, or both companies were advertising a fiber cable hybrid. And I believe this is still the case in most areas, including this area, is that the backbone. So what's running on the poles or at least to the routers is is uh, fiber optic and what's running to the house is cable and uh, you know uh, pound for pound if you compare the two in theory you can get much better uh, performance from a fiber optic line versus a uh, you know piece of coax though i would say a piece of coax is still much better than a copper line uh, I, I don't think there's any question about it. well it is copper i mean you know a copper yeah. core typically yeah sure. but um and I still remember asking the guy, I'm like, so when do you think I'm going to get fiber to the house? And again, this was in the early 90s. And he's like, huh, you're never going to see that. Because again, they were just starting right. to do what you call a fiber cable hybrid, which is running fiber on the pole and cable to the house. Now, of course, 20 years later, now you got, you know, Fios and or 30 years later, um, you have Fios and, uh, you know, people running fiber optic to the house. And uh, who knows if that's going to be the end all be all or if they're anything beyond that dave yeah you know, I, know. I, I i just posted in the chat somebody was mentioning they have fios as you know as you were going through that and uh and i said i'm so jealous of the fios people and then it kind of hit me like well you know i did ha i have a doxis 3 cable modem here only because i had doxis 3 for like a day and a half and it was just to check out comcast's latest i think it's 50 megabits down 10 megabits up offering and uh and i realized it's really, really fast. I mean, especially that upstream, man, it smokes, but, uh, but I don't need that. So I'm actually right now I'm on the cheapest, uh, thing that Comcast will sell me, which is 12 down and two megabits up. Uh, it bursts the downstream will burst up, mm -hmm. I think up into the thirties and the upstream will burst yeah, sometime around four or five for a little while. But, uh, but it was cool to try that 50 megabits. It was ridiculously huh. expensive. It, you know, wasn't, wasn't worth it unless you're doing a lot, a lot of, pushing a lot well, of data we have now you know that's a good question so uh someone in the chat uh wandering yankee says is fios better 
you know, I guess it depends because they offer tiered service, I think, just like a cable modem. Like in our case, Dave, so we have something, and I think these, uh, I think this has to be the fastest cable modem access because I'm pretty sure it's cable. Um, Optimum Online has something called Optimum Online Ultra. You know, I mean, you, you thought, I mean, Ultra, I, I hope that's not the end because, I mean, maybe they'll have something better than Ultra. But Ultra, their Ultra service is 101 megabits per second downstream. Wow. Now you pay for it. I think you sure. got to toss in like 50 bucks extra a month at least to yeah. get that. But they advertise 101 megabits per second downstream with uh, cable as far as I know. So, wow. uh, so, so that's nuts. Now we also have the boost service, which like you mentioned, yeah, it gives yeah. you a temporary boost. Yeah. And I think my service right now here with uh, opt online is 15 megabits per second down two up, which is a uh, pretty standard, I think yeah. for, for your you know, yeah. basic cable service. And, and I'm very happy with, uh, with what they offer. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of what I what if Comcast. I know they said they were pushing. I saw an ad in uh, in I don't know somewhere in, in I think it was in, in Boston that they were doing 100 megabits or or planning on doing 100 megabits. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's good though. I mean, it, you know, the faster that gets, the 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 better off we mm-hmm. uh, we all are. So yeah, no, somebody somebody here was talking about BitTorrent, which we actually have no idea what they're talking about. But um, <laughs> I use BitTorrent no. all the time to download live shows from uh, from bands like yeah. Fish and uh, and actually, you know, I found on BitTorrent on on the eTree.org, I think I found mm-hmm. two of the shows I played with Hypnotic Clambake uh, back in 1995. If you find any Hypnotic mm-hmm. Clambake shows between say September first. And November 10th uh, of 1995, you'll, I, I, I played drums on those. I think there, there was one from Erie, Pennsylvania and one, oh, and then the one from, the, from that crazy show in, uh, in Buffalo, New York at Nietzsche's. That was nice. nice. So anyway, nice. so those here's the, here, yeah. well, here's the mini fish shake about that whole thing, Dave. And I think some people can, mm-hmm. uh, so, so you may have heard this, a uh, recent ruling, um, the FCC was told um, uh, they're not allowed to. Uh, and, and, you know, this, uh, uh, I got to have a mini fish shake against just the, the media. Shake these your fist. Some... They can see. Wait, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. We got to. We got to. There we, gotta, we go. Full. No, no, no. Do that again. There he is. There we full, go. In all his glory. Now. <laughs> Shaking the fist. But anyways, there was a recent ruling. Now, one, you get some of your uh, political nutcases. Uh, totally misrepresenting this. But the problem is that he recently ruled that the FCC is uh, not permitted, and that this is where we get the political hysteria, to control the internet. No, it's not controlling the internet. There, there's a thing called net neutrality, which and you and I, Dave, talked about this, and I think the, 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 the basic fact of the matter right now is that in most areas, you pretty much have a monopoly. Like here, yeah. it's opt online. Where you are, it's Comcast. Where you our parents it. live, it's Comcast. You don't have a choice, at least as far as a single medium. I have not seen this in Connecticut, as far as I know. If you want cable modem and you're in my part of the Connecticut, it's opt online. If you're somewhere else, it's Comcast or maybe Charter or somebody, but you don't have a choice. And the problem is, I guess, you know, some people have been saying, wouldn't it be nice to have um, net neutrality, which my definition of that is you get the connection and nobody gets to shape or modify or block or, or do whatever. And then this is a whole debate between free market and regulation and stuff like that. Now, unfortunately, yeah. again, the problem is some people are misrepresenting this as, Oh, it's the FCC controlling the internet. And it's like, no, it's not that at all. It's, I, I don't see anything, it that way. Yeah. To me, if anything, it's making a controlled monopoly accountable for what they do. That, that's my view. And that's, uh, I'll get off the political soapbox. But to me, I see it as a good thing. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. You shouldn't. I, if, if it was a total free market solution and that I had multiple people to choose from to get my internet service or my cable modem service and one wants to shape their traffic and one doesn't, then I'm totally in agreement that the free market is the way to solve this. But it, 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 the way it is set up, at least in my part of the country, and I think your part of the country, Dave, and most of us, yeah. you don't have a choice. Yeah. So, so I don't see it as I'm, control. I see I'm, it as... I'm with you on, on that. You know, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm like a whack job libertarian living here in New Hampshire. Uh, and I've, Live free I, or die. I, mean, I use yeah. that label, but it, it's really an incorrect label for me, but it's about as close as it gets. I, I just believe in, you know, let me do my thing uh and mm. and that's it let me do my thing and if you're only going to let one company string wires here well then you know you got to make them let me do my thing so there yep. you go uh victor um dave told me this is how i should talk into the mic I so yeah victor i've been doing this with uh what we're, what we're, <laughs> what uh victor kahiao from the typical mac user podcast fantastic podcast uh and also the typical shutterbug podcast uh to give him a big shout out uh, is noticing is that in the video stream john and i are both using heil uh, pr40 mics and uh, they are end fire mics, meaning the the element is at the end of the microphone. I should talk like this, right? So, so we should, you know, the the it, it's not in the side of the mic; it's at the it's at the end of the uh, cylinder. And what I've found uh, over the years of using this mic is that talking across the mic, so essentially having the mic aimed at the side of my face and then kind of sitting back a bit uh, works a lot better. It allows me to get a much clearer signal and I don't get this, you know, way too close to the mic thing going on. I get this and I can talk and pop and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and you don't get those pops like you get, for example, when I'm traveling or using that, uh, that, that other one. And so when John and I started doing video, I noticed, ah, he's, he's talking directly into the end and that's why I'm getting some of those pops out of him. So I, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was Skype. I thought it was this. So, uh, so yep. you know, now we fixed it. Ah. And, and it has the added benefit of, uh, lots of added benefits. One, I can move my hands all around and it doesn't hit this mic stand. That's not in front of me. And, uh, and two, you can see our faces when we're uh, when we're talking. Well, I don't so. know if that's necessarily a benefit. Dave. Well, hey, they're the ones watching, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have anything else? I could talk about the satellite connection just to throw it in there. Yes. Uh, if you're in an area of the country that is not wired for high speed, you can do it uh, wirelessly with satellite in most areas of the world, or at least most areas of the country, I believe. But um, but, you know, so that's another option. The latency on that. Uh, is is pretty bad. You know, it's a, usually about a, a three quarter to one second uh, ping time turning around, which is really slow. But things Ooh. like Skype work over it. So, you know, the uh, the upstream and then. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, unless you own your home, I think uh, a lot of uh, condo and other associations don't necessarily like you uh, slapping a dead, though they've gotten much smaller. I mean, as you yeah. and I have seen through our geekdom, Dave, I mean, dishes used to be you know, huge. Yeah. Now they're, uh, you know, a couple of feet across and, uh, you can clamp them on your, uh, railing or something. And uh, Jeff, hopefully you have a Jeff Quistad who, uh, who of course works with us over at, at backbeat media and has been a huge part of what we do there for many years. Uh, and maybe he's even watching, but he, uh, he just moved in. He lives in Austin. He just moved from one place in Austin to another. And he, um, he tried out a service called clear, uh, it's at clear.com. Mm -hmm. I'll put a link in the, uh, in the, in the chat room. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's why max is what it is. It's, it's a Wi-Fi signal, oh. but, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, wide area Wi-Fi. 
it worked okay for him as long as he held his foot just right, put the modem like in a corner of the window and uh, didn't have any other devices near it, which was really funny. They told him, uh, yeah, do you have anything else near it? He says, well, like a router. And they said, yeah. He said, yeah. And they said, well, that might cause a problem. He says, well, I'm supposed to have a router near it. That's how it works. So, hmm. uh, yeah. So it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to the microphone thing because I see in the chat that Todd was asking about microphones and Victor, you said mm-hmm. uh, that Todd should get a PR 20 for 150 bucks. Well, they have the PR 20 utility microphone now uh, for 99 bucks. It doesn't come with the fancy case. It doesn't come with the multiple heads. It's the normal uh, PR 20 mic with the, the normal head. And these things are awesome. Way better than a sure SM 58 in my book. And uh, for 99 bucks, they're, you know, they're, they're way more than worth the price. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, actually I use them. I've, I've held them in my hand before, but anyway, we're, we're getting off, off topic and I'm letting the chat, uh, drive things, which is cool. You know, we, we have a, I know we're getting late here, John, but we have a question that, uh, that I've saved for a while and it's time, it's time for us to answer this question because I believe Uh we have the answer for, uh, right. for Simon's question. So let me uh, let me make sure this is going to work. Hello, John and Dave. Uh, Simon here from Farnborough in the UK. Um, I'm actually calling on behalf of a couple of friends of mine. They both run Macs. And uh, for the last, certainly the last couple of years at least, I think, they've been uh, sending me a, a message, an audio message every week, very, very reliably. Interesting. Um, and it's, it's always very good, very entertaining. However, just recently, they've been getting these, uh, the problems with, some problems with audio, where it's kind of hiccuping and, and stuttering, things like that. It's a bit weird. I think they use Audio Hijack Pro, something like that. I'm not quite sure. So um, anyway, just wonder if, uh, if you know what might be, uh, might be going on and uh, could shed any light on it. It'd be really, really interesting. Anyway, keep up the good work with the podcast. It's uh, great stuff. And here's where you cut me off. All right. Thanks, Simon. And uh, of course, Simon is, uh, is, is this is a little bit tongue in cheek because Simon is, of course, referring to us and all of those hiccup problems that we were having. For those of you that subscribe to the premium show, uh, you know that we have found the answer. For those of you that don't, you may have heard that we found the answer in so much as that those hiccups are gone. Uh, so, Simon, I can help you. Uh, we have done some research here and you can tell your friends this, uh, that you, Firewire audio on the Mac sucks. It's unreliable and, uh, and, and you, have well, all, well, you can have well, all kinds of problems with that, it. Dave. It uh-huh. only sucks on the Intel machines. Yeah, that's right. It sucks. Well, okay. it sucks with later versions of Leopard and Intel or both. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's to be true. fair. That yeah, that's no, you're right. Suck consistently. It's, it's consistent. Yes. Yeah. So what I did was, you know, we've got this beautiful Mackie Onyx 1220 board uh, that we've been using for years with the FireWire interface. But as you've all heard, it had all those cracking and popping and uh, issues and such. So uh, recently, uh, Andy, Andy Dolph recommended to me that, uh, you know, when I said I'm looking for a USB interface, he recommended the Tascam US 1641 uh, for 300 bucks. It's got 16 inputs and four outputs and, uh, and it works great. We haven't had any problems with it. The audio still sounds fine. I mean, it's, you know, it's still a, if we want it to be a 96 K 24 bit interface and, uh, and it's been great. So, 
Uh, yep. So it, it we love it, and mm. and I don't have to think about it anymore. We're still using the Mackie board to uh, to mix the show live, so that I can bring levels down. And mm-hmm. up, but uh, but uh, otherwise, you know, the, the oh. interfacing is going uh, through the. I've just got analog cables going back and forth from the Mackie yep. board to the uh, Tascam. So, and I see Very someone cool. in the chat room making a wise observation. Well, the the reason we won't. Well, uh, so just to to tell you here. I mean, some of you may know. So I'm on a G5 dual two gigahertz. Right. And actually, I'm right now. I think uh, Skype is actually working as it should here because I'm pretty much at about ninety percent. On both of my uh, my processors here, and I think that reflects in the quality of the picture you're seeing. But um, also, I am using uh, uh, let's see, it's the Hue uh, HD webcam, Dave. Yeah. Which oddly enough, uh, apparently uh, the their reports are Apple broke something in Snow Leopard, so that their camera does not reliably work. I think it's a QuickTime issue or something like that. But this is a 1.3 megapixel webcam. It's actually very nice. It has a base. It has a, a, a flexible arm, and actually I have it right now where it's uh, it's actually sitting and and uh, blocking part of my view of my monitor. But you know, for you guys, I'll uh, you know, and it has a uh, it's not autofocus, but it's a nice HD. Uh, in my opinion, nice HD. Uh, unit here and the thing is it works fine on leopard because right now on the g5 of course i have no option to be on right. snow leopard oh, well you could go there to, is an option but it's not a very <laughs> but it's not a very good one right right well right. i think i told you i recently updated the mom off of tiger and her ibook g4 and uh, right. she's now on snow leopard on a nice refurb so i'm running that camera but fortunately the drivers work just fine on uh on leopard though you know looking here at the processor utilization it, it may eventually be time to uh yeah Especially keep if you keep doing these day. video shows. I know I'm thinking about, I might, might have to get a, uh, you know, an eight core machine here to, uh, to manage all this video, you, you know? So I, let's, let's talk briefly about the setup that we're doing here. Um, I talked about mm-hmm. this a little bit in the pre-show, but we're, we're using uh, a piece of software called cam twist. Of course, John and I are connected via Skype. Now John's sending me his video via Skype. I'm not sending him mine because on the Mac, the camera can only be attached by one uh, program at a time. So John's sending me his video. I'm pumping my video directly into this software called Cam Twist, and uh, and then I'm capturing. And this is weird. I'm capturing John's video so that I can blend them together. And those of you in the room are seeing that I can do a little picture in picture with John or me or a side by side or you know various other things. Uh, but the way I'm capturing John's video is sort of old school and it's the only way to do or do it is I'm doing a screen grab of a specific spot on the screen. So if I move my mouse into, uh, into John's call window, Oh no, it doesn't do anything. Oh, because I have Skype set to be on top. But, uh, if I move John's Skype window around his video moves all over the place. So, uh, so, but it works and it lets me do this and uh, cam twist then creates essentially a virtual camera that I can then plug into Ustream, which is what you all are seeing on the, uh, on the web. And, uh, and it seems to work, uh, you know, doing all of this plus having uh, audio hijack running and routing all of our audio and recording all of our audio. My CPUs are at 71%, uh, 40% of that Skype, 40% of it is the Ustream broadcaster plug-in flash thing mm-hmm. and another 25% uh, cam twist. And yeah, so it's, you know, it's not bad. 14% audio hijack pro. So, nice. uh, you know what baffles me, Dave, though, What's is... That? 
I, I mean, I hear from multiple people. Now, I, I got off of the whole, uh, you know, Mac is better for everything bandwagon a long time ago. Yeah. Especially, and I'll still say for development, I, I still, you know, dig windows for some development work here. But I was shocked at the difficulty that you had in trying to get, I mean, my impression was, this is a Mac. There are audio professionals that use the Mac. How, how can, and uh, not doubting your abilities, of course, Dave, but I'm like, how can people use the Mac to do audio work and there's this this blatantly obvious bug in the FireWire driver, and I'm I'm yeah. still baffled as I, to why this is the case. We Unless they just heads. threw them out the window and they they got um or their analog. I I don't know, but it, it just know. baffled me that I don't know. This is such an issue. It, it's it, crazy. It was just terrible. Yeah, it's crazy. So oh well. anyway, I do want to try uh, Boink's TV as well and see which one I like better uh, as far as, you know, rerouting the uh, the audio. But it seems Ustream's working. Uh, my guess is we will do more of these. But uh, but for now, I think it's time to uh, it's time to bid everyone adieu. We're at uh, I don't even know where we are. We're probably at close to an hour and a half on this one. So uh, uh, 30. It's, uh, it's time. Thanks. So. Uh, all right. So we'll fade the band in. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see contact information. You can call oh, us at 206-666 Geek, which is four. Th- uh, I can't do it. Four three three five. You can email us, Dave. Uh, did you know you can email us, Dave, at feedback at macgeekab.com. <laughs> did you just say feedback at macgeekab.com? No, I think what I said is feedback at macgeekab.com, Dave. And I'm sticking <laughs> That's to that. That's awesome. You can email us uh, text, of course, but you can also send us audio comments. You can uh, you can do it straight from your iPhone using the voice memo app. It works great, and we love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. You can Skype us to macgeekgab, uh, mm-hmm. and you can leave us iTunes comments. That's... Uh, that's that. Michael Johnston from the uh, This Week in iPhone podcast converts this show to AAC for you. I don't think Michael was in our chat room tonight. I was hoping to see him, but uh, but I don't think he was. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth for getting this show from us to you. The Podcast Marketplace has uh, some fantastic sponsors. We really appreciate the uh, the support that they uh, have given and continue to give us. You know, this is one of those special shows. It's show 256. Uh, they're all special shows, but, you know, I, I'd just like to thank everybody, not only our sponsors, but, of course, all of you, our listeners. Uh, we wouldn't and couldn't do this without you, so uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, it could, but it'd be very boring. Yeah. Yeah, it would it wouldn't be at all the same and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun um and i don't so think we you you guys make make the community what it is here yeah and the mac community yeah it really is i think so uh the podcast marketplace this month includes audio engine with their a2 desktop speakers barebone software with yojimbo and bb edit pdf pen disc label and text expander from smile on my mac Notebook from Circus Ponies and go to Assist Express at gotoassist.com slash gab all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Another great group of guys. Uh, that's it. Let's get out of here. Still got to convert this thing. Oh. Did you hit the record button? <gasps> oh! <laughs> oh! I think that happened once and only once. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> Another fish shake.
All right, have fun. We're doing more podcasts this week, so be good and uh, don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.